Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoy today's message. Today, I believe we are drawing an end to our Term 3 preaching series. We don't always have pre uh, preaching series as a church uh, every week, uh, but we tend to do them in, in term blocks. And we've recently, this, this year, this term revisited one from last year called Heroes, looking at great biblical heroes and some of the qualities and things that they can uh, teach us in life. And this morning, we have the honour of capping off Heroes 2.0 with... A great hero of our church. Would you please put your hand together for Rachel Donaldson. Always a favourite. And uh, she has, she's going to be preaching from one of the easiest to understand books in the whole Bible. And so well done for that. You ready? Yeah. Let's go. Good morning. It's good to see you. I know I always say that, but I genuinely mean it. Um, before I get into my message today, Chad was singing about um, how God's always on time and this week uh, I've just felt like God's been saying that I'm the God of the midnight hour and I've just been like, what does that even mean? And I feel like I've had clarity and it's God is the God of the midnight hour while we are in the darkest part of our circumstance, the darkest part of our life. It feels like God's not there, but God is the God of the midnight hour. Midnight starts the next day. God is the God of the first hour, and God is the God that starts. He's there at the beginning. He's there at the beginning. And no matter at the darkest time of your life, he's the God of the midnight hour, and he is first on the scene, ready to jump in, ready to start our day. So thank you. <laughs> that, um, that's why that resonated with me so much today. And I'm glad you did that because I was like, oh, I can share that. It's so cool. Anyway, my message today is on Daniel. Now, I have a brother called Daniel, but anyway, this is not about him. This is about Daniel. We have a Daniel Todd. It's not about you, Daniel Todd, sorry. <laughs> um, okay, so my message today is called Stand Up to Stand Out. And when I say the word Daniel, the first thing for me that comes to mind is Daniel and the lion's den. Who is, who's the same? Yep. I was trying to avoid that because I'm like, that's such a generic story everyone knows, but, you know, I just can't. I'm, I'm going to be talking about Daniel and the lion's den. So I'll go into that in a little bit, but um, first I want to give you a bit of context on the book of Daniel because it's such a powerful book and I'm only touching on a real small glimpse of his life. Um, so we'll go straight into scripture. We've got a lot of scripture that we're covering today, guys. Hope that's okay. So Daniel 1, verse 1 to 2. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Now this scripture, we can, I'll give you a lot of context for the background. So the fall of Jerusalem was a profound crisis of faith for the Jewish people. 
Prior to 586 BC, they believed that because they were God's people and God dwelled on Mount Zion, the city of Jerusalem would never be destroyed. Sure, they might be oppressed by Assyria or Babylon, but God would always rescue them. It was unthinkable that the temple itself could be dismantled, the temple treasures stolen and placed at the feet of a pagan god in the temple of Babylon. Beyond this natural disaster, the fall of Jerusalem was a spiritual and theological disaster. For the exiles forced to settle in Babylon, it may have appeared that God has forsaken his people. God's judgment was severe. Perhaps he had abandoned his promises when his people were scattered among the nations to live as foreigners. Maybe Yahweh is a cruel and unpredictable God who goes back on his promises. Perhaps the Jews in exile should switch loyalties and follow the greater gods of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Or perhaps the gods of the Babylonians were more powerful than the God of Israel. After all, where had serving Yahweh gotten them except exiled from their homeland? It would have been very easy for the Jews to doubt that God was truly in charge of world events and their particular circumstances because how could God allow the Babylonians to destroy the temple of God in his most holy city, Jerusalem? The message of Daniel speaks to all of these issues and Daniel is very clear that God has not changed, God has not been defeated and he is fully in charge of the world and he cares deeply for the suffering of his people. And Daniel looks forward to a time when God will restore his promises and his people that God had promised to Abraham, David and the prophets. So a little background on Daniel for you. He was a young man at this time, about 16 to 18 years old at the time of the exile. He was good-looking, intelligent and wise and he was taken as captive purely for those reasons. After a time of training in the Babylonian ways, culture, language and so on, he then enters the personal service of Nebuchadnezzar as an advisor and an overseer. He lived in Babylon for well over 60 years and he died well into his 80s. He grew up in a turbulent time. He was born around 620 BC and taken to Babylon after the siege of Jerusalem had ended. It started in around 605 BC. Israel had been under attack for quite some time and succumbed to the power of Babylon. Daniel, along with many other Hebrews, were exiled into Babylon for many years and the Jews loved their homeland, Jerusalem, and the temple, but they were forced from their homes and taken to a foreign culture and country. This is a true story, guys. Daniel was merely a boy and was forced to leave everything he knew. For the rest of his life, he lived in a pagan and sinful culture. There were continual temptations to live like the sinful people around him. Peer pressure would have been strong to get him to conform. There was a law that was even passed forbidding worship of anyone or anything except the, pagan, the Persian king. So it certainly would not have been an easy time for Daniel to grow up in or for any of the Jews in that time. But Daniel's heart was with God and only God. So my message today is in two parts. We will start with part one, and we can read the scripture of Daniel 1, verse 3 to 21. This is quite a long read. Sorry, guys. You can follow along on the screen. 
Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy and good-looking men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. That was, that's a key verse. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, I am afraid of the Lord my king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. Daniel said, at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided to the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. My first point is Daniel was a man of no compromise. Some of the problems of this period were simply examples of subtle compromise. One of the main ones was Daniel determined in his heart not to eat the food the king was serving. Now this might seem like something so small. Daniel's just being fussy. Daniel's being difficult. Come on, Daniel, just eat the food you're given. Xander hears that all the time. Dan Xander doesn't risk his life, by the way. Not, not like King Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel was risking here his life by not eating the food the king was providing. He risked angering the king. What king would appreciate hearing that some teenage kid from Israel didn't want to eat his food at his table? So this could have come across as rebellious. And how did the kings deal with rebellion back then? They'd take your head off. 
So Daniel was putting his life on the line over not eating food that the king was providing. So what we might not know here is that there is some small problems with the food that was served by the king. Firstly, it would have been prepared according to the not sorry, it would not have been prepared according to the laws of the Old Testament. So it would have been ritually unclean. So the Jews had many dietary restrictions of foods that were declared unclean at that time. And secondly, Daniel knew that by sharing a meal at the king's table represented sharing the values of the king. And Daniel was able to obey the king and serve in his government, but he could not pretend to be the king's friend. You know, when you go to somebody's house and you share a meal at the table, they're your friends, you are... You have the same kind of beliefs and the same moral values. So Daniel was sitting at this table, serving the king, disagreeing with his values. He wasn't participating in that. So to eat that food in that situation represented a moral compromise of everything Daniel believed. So he made up his mind he would not do that. He didn't have to hold up his traditional standards. He could have made excuses. No one would know if I ate this food, so it's okay. My parents aren't here, they're not going to see. I'm in someone else's house. My peers might laugh at me if I don't eat, don't eat the food that they're eating or if I don't do what they're doing. We're already in captivity, probably going to die anyway. Might as well eat his food. God would understand. He'll forgive me. It's only food, right? How many of us, when we were younger, have been to a friend's house and thought, my parents aren't here, I abide by their rules now. They won't know. So my cousin and I grew up, um, we're similar ages, we grew up in Kingston together. I always went to her house, she didn't come to my house. Our rules were a little bit stricter than her rules. So I went to her house, I watched her movies, I listened to their music, because it was different than what we were allowed to watch and listen to. So none of it was right or wrong, it was just different. So I didn't realise that my family had a standard of living that was different to my cousin's standard of living, which is okay. It was just different. Another example, we have Christmas coming up. Who's excited for Christmas? Let me see. <laughs> I've already thought about next Christmas. <laughs> Christmas Eve next year is a sad day, by the way, guys. <laughs> so I'm not excited at all. So anyway, my boss will be throwing a Christmas party for her staff this year. There will be alcohol in excess, I would say, and I have a choice I can make. Will I hold myself to God's standard or will I allow myself to conform to the standard of my colleagues and my friends? They don't know any different, but I do. I know the life that God has called me to live. I could easily make excuses. No one from church is here. No one would know. It's only one party. God's gracious. He'll forgive me. But you know what? Where's the line? It's choosing to do the right thing when no one is watching. It's choosing to do the right thing even though my colleagues are doing their thing. They don't know any different. I do. And if no one from church is watching, God is still watching. And... If I've done the wrong thing, my heart just sinks. You know when you've done the wrong thing, you just feel terrible? Anyway. Why would I want to compromise on anything less than what God has called me to be? 
So I have a choice to make. I'm going to choose not to compromise my values, if you need to know. But when God is our standard and God is our highest priority, when we value what God values, we will be people of no compromise too and we can easily choose to hold ourselves to God's standard. So this is what it means to stand up, to stand out. Not following what those around us are doing, but holding ourselves to what God has called each of us to be as individuals. Daniel didn't have to maintain his Jewish standards, but he did. It mattered to him whether he pleased God or not. It didn't matter to him what everyone around him was doing. He purposed in his heart not to conform to the lifestyle of those around him. He wasn't giving in to peer pressure. Daniel determined in his heart to do the right thing, regardless of the outcome. He didn't need to convince anyone else to join him. He made the choice on his own. He took the risk. He made the choice to stand up for his cultural beliefs and in doing so, three other young men were inspired to live the same. So one person's no compromise created a community of no compromise. Imagine the influence you would have with the people around you if you chose to stand up for your values. Daniel could have looked like a pagan on the outside, but on the inside he was a servant of the living God. Even Nebuchadnezzar couldn't do a thing about it. This is important because it shows that you, can, you can't corrupt a man from the outside. You can change a culture, but not a character. You can change a name, but you cannot change a nature. The Babylonians could change everything in the natural, his diet, his location, his education, his language, his name, but they couldn't change his heart because it belonged to God. When your heart belongs to God, you can go anywhere and face any situation. Your body could be in Babylon, but your heart is in heaven. So the question becomes, where is your heart? Does it belong to God? And Daniel teaches us that God honours those that take a stand against the godlessness of their times, even in the little things. Every day we have choices to make, some big, some small, some that affect only ourselves, some that affect our family, some that might affect our workplace. Every day we have the choice to live as people of no compromise. Because Daniel didn't compromise on the smaller issues, he was empowered then to stand up against the big issues. And just as Daniel purposed in his heart, we must also determine that whatever comes our way, we're not going to forfeit what we know is acceptable in the sight of God. The pressure will come. Somehow, some way, someday, we're going to be negatively influenced by people around us, whether it's family, friends or co-workers. And we can determine now that if something comes up that you know is contrary to God's word or who God has called you to be, that you aren't going to participate in or tolerate that behaviour and choose in that split second to live as a man or woman of no compromise. Because sometimes those things come up and you haven't had time to process it. I've had time to process our Christmas party coming up, but some things happen in a split second that you have to choose, will this compromise my moral standards? That's part one. Part two. Daniel in the lion's den. The f yeah. 
So we're going to be reading. This is going to be a lot, sorry. I'm not sorry. It's a very good story. <laughs> okay. It's awkward watching people read. Read the screen. <laughs> Darius the Mede decided to, live, decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs but they couldn't find anything to criticise or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Wahaha. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We, administrators, high officials, high officers, advisers and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that the next, for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so that it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. Of course he did. He wanted to be worshipped. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king. You know that saying, Dibba Cindy? So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? I feel like he was a little bit set up. Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king. That man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. Uh -oh. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So, at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with its own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. 
very early the next morning. You know that feeling you've done something wrong? I think he had that feeling. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown in the lion's den, along with their wives and children. The lions <laughs> leaked on them. <laughs> I didn't, didn't want to read that. <laughs> the lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. This is a pagan king. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This leads me to my second point that Daniel, you might wonder how I got here, but we'll get there. Daniel was consistent. I would go as far as saying that Daniel was probably one of the most consistent, solid men in the Bible. Other words for consistent could be reliable, steady, unswerving, stable. So Daniel once again proved himself more capable than the other administrators. He didn't perform to be noticed. He just stood out because of who he was, his character, his steadfastness. So here in this chapter, Daniel's promoted to top dog. Life is going well. He continued to live as a man of no compromise, praying when he wasn't supposed to. Again, knowing the risk of his actions, but choosing to do so anyway because... God was his priority. Daniel's position didn't stop him from doing what God had called him to do. Daniel's position didn't stop him from doing what God had called him to do. Once again, he could have made all the excuses not to pray. It's only for 30 days. God would understand. I'll be killed if I get caught. But no, Daniel's response was, I'll go to my room, open my windows and pray so you can all see me. And because of this, he was taken to the lion's den. Imagine how that would have felt, being someone in a position high up, position of influence, and then having that all stripped away in a second because someone was so jealous of you that they created a law to set you up to fail because they couldn't find any other fault. How would that make you feel? I would be pretty upset. <laughs> Daniel didn't know he was going to survive the lion's den. In the middle of that story, that's that midnight hour, he did not know he was going to survive the lion's den. 
He was probably hopeful. But, and ultimately he knew where he was going. So, and he was in his late 70s. Who's in their late 70s here? <laughs> Would you like to be thrown into a lion's den? No, I wouldn't at my age. <laughs> you know, we can read this story because we know the ending, but Daniel didn't know the ending. For us, we don't know the ending of our little journeys, but we do know that God is faithful. He has done amazing things in the past and he will continue to do amazing things in the future. Daniel had to hold on to his promise that God is faithful regardless of how this story was going to end. The den would have been very dark, especially after the sun had set. You can't see the lions anymore. You probably wouldn't be sleeping. He was old. He... Sorry. <laughs> he was young, that heart. <laughs> would your heart be racing in that? My heart would be racing just the thought of it. Anyway, or did he feel the peace of God in the den? The peace of God that overcomes the fear of the natural. And we have access to the Holy Spirit 24-7 who can come and fill us with the overwhelming peace that carries us to safety it carries us to wholeness and it carries us in the confidence that God is faithful. Daniel survived the lion's den. He could have been very angry when he came out, seeking revenge for the people who created that law. But instead he came out with his head high, praising his God. He came out steady and strong, the same as he went in. I've got a few ways that we can be like Daniel and my challenge for you today is to pick at least one that you can begin to apply from your own life. All right, let's go. Number one, forgiving those who hurt us in the past and choosing to forgive those who hurt us in the future because there will be people who will hurt us time and time again. Now, Someone will hurt you over and over and over again. You might have someone in your life that does that. You can forgive them over and over and over again, but you don't have to trust them. That's the difference. Forgiveness does not equal trust. Forgiveness keeps your heart clean and pure and keeps you remaining focused on God. Number one. Number two, loving our neighbour. Your neighbour is not just your physical neighbour, where you're sitting or where you live, but it's the person that did wrong by you. It's the person who spoke nasty things about you. It's the person who created a law to make you fail. It is loving every single person that, come, that you come across, whether they deserve it or not. Because God says everyone is worthy of being loved. And remember, we're living to God's standard. Keeping God as our focus and not swaying from what he is doing. Number four, Daniel didn't allow what was going on around him or even to him affect him. He remained focused, he remained steady and he remained consistent regardless of what was happening. We can remain focused regardless of what is surrounding us and not allowing our circumstances to affect us. That is easier said than done. 
but we can try. Number five, know who you belong to. God sets the standard for our lives, not the people around us. Number six, determine in your heart today that you will not compromise on anything that is beneath who God has called you to be. Number seven, because Daniel knew who he was, he was able to live in the pagan kingdom and it not affect his relationship with God or his character. That could be us at work, could be us in the community, um, not allowing our outside to affect our inside. Know who we are in God so that we can live in the world but not of the world. And the last one, when something didn't go right, Daniel's heart remained with God. We can choose today that regardless of the outcome, our hearts will remain with God. Because of Daniel's ability to remain consistent, King Darius publicly praised Daniel's God across the world. Everyone heard about this miraculous God that rescues and saves. And if this wasn't a reminder to the Jews in exile that God is miraculous to save his people and that God's kingdom will reign forever, I don't know what was. I don't know what it was like to live in exile, but I do know we are living in a strange time now. And I know what that is like. And you guys know what that is like. Just like the Jews would have felt, and probably you guys at some point, I know what it is like to think, where is God in this moment? And just like the Jews would have felt, I know what it is like to feel like God has abandoned or forgotten me. And just like the Jews, I know what it's like to wonder if serving God is worth all this pain and hardship. Just like the Jews, I know what it is like to doubt that God has good plans for me, that God has thought about my future. But in all those times that I felt like that, that the Jews would have felt like that, and like what you guys would have felt in your lifetimes too, that at the end of the day, we can come back to God's promises. You're all still here. I'm still here. We come back to God's promises and continue to remind ourselves of all the times that God has come through in the past. And that's how you get through the hardships and the doubts in the current to get you to the future and that aligns your heart with his again so today in this crazy time that we're living in i've got some reminders for you god is first loving and faithful god is very present he keeps his promises we can rely on him we can trust him our god is more powerful than what is happening in our lives and then what is happening in the world. God cares deeply for every single person and what you're going through. God will not leave you. He will not forsake you. God has not changed. He will never change. And he is still fully in charge of this world. And when the world is not consistent, when the government's not consistent, our God remains consistent. And he is the one we hold on to when everything feels like it's falling apart. So today, let's remain steady. Let's not allow what's happening in our lives or in this world to shake us or discourage us from the plans that God has for our lives.
if you want to stand up, I've got some things that we can pray about. I hope you could find at least one thing that you can take today. All right, put your hand on your heart. Shut your eyes. <laughs> God, today we choose that regardless of what is going on around us, regardless of what is going on in this world, we will choose to keep our hearts and our minds aligned with your heart, aligned with your plans, aligned with what you're doing. God, we will choose to live the standard that you set over us, not the standard of the world or the people around us, but God, you will be our focus. You will be our priority. And God will keep that as the main point in our lives. God, you are reliable. God, you know what you are doing. God, you are faithful. And God, you are the God of the midnight hour, the first on the scene. You know what you are doing. And God, we choose to trust you and follow you in that. And finally, God, we thank you that your peace is more powerful than our fear. That your peace is the one we hold on to to get us through. And God, we thank you that we have access to that all the time. And when our boat feels like it's rocky, God, we can hold on to your peace, knowing that you calm the raging waters and that your peace is more powerful than the circumstances we are in. And God, we thank you for remaining steady and consistent in our lives and in our world. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.